0: Well, thank you, Jim, and thank you uh, to the worship team this morning. Uh, thank you for the good reminder of how uh, a little group of people in Beaver Creek, Ohio, Miami Valley can have an influence all the way in New Guinea and uh, by our giving and our prayers. And uh, it's just an encouragement, I know, to me, and I hope it is to you. Uh, my name is Scott Dixon. It's my privilege to be one of the elders here. And... Um, I don't know if you notice, but you probably do, that this time of year, a lot of people are looking back at 2021, others are looking ahead at 2022. Well, this week, uh, since last Sunday, we're in that hinge week, right, of the year. And a lot of organizations and groups and bloggers want to say, okay, what was the word of the year for 2021? And I, I would like to offer one. I would say that the word of the year to me was discombobulation. Just kind of rolls off your tongue, right? Discombobulation. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means what it sounds like. Uh, the definition, it's the fact of being made to feel confused, uncomfortable. It's to be disoriented, perplexed and bewildered Uh, another way to describe it is to use the phrase brain fog now they use that as a covid symptom but i personally think it's just a symptom of living in the year 2021 don't you a brain fog an inability to concentrate to think clearly Uh, how many have called one kid the other kid's name recently how many have called the kids the dog's name recently How many have called the spouse the dog's name? We'll stop there. Now you say, well, Scott, you're old. That's just aging. No, I don't think so. I think it's just a symptom of life right now. Discombobulation. And so if if that's what last year was, what do we do this year? How can we discombobulate our lives? Hmm. Uh, Somehow, I I don't think we're going to get out underneath of the circumstances that are exacerbating the problem. They're not going to change. It's not an option. I mean, COVID-19 is still here. Uh, cultural unrest and division, that's still here. Economic uncertainty, that's still here. The cacophony of voices, devices that are shouting for our attention and our affection, they're still here. They're not going place. So what are we going to do? How are we going to find some kind of reorientation? Some kind of solace for our lives and for our souls. You know, some people will use things to numb themselves right, to the confusion, to, to to distract themselves. It could be a substance. It might be a shallow relationship, workaholism. Uh, it may even be an addiction uh, to screens, doom scrolling. They call it. Um, But it it doesn't take a, a social worker or a psychologist or even a theologian to tell us that the attempt to use something to distract you from the bewilderment actually itself makes you more bewildered. The attempt to use something to numb the pain will itself start to cause more pain, and that just puts you in a cycle. It puts you in a spiral so that's not going to help. So what are we going to do in 2022? Now, last week, Rob went to Psalm 77, talked about how God is faithful in the midst of our struggles, and that's a timely word. Uh, But this week, I'd like to focus on two different passages, which both can be a guide thoughts and, and a map our direction and a source for comfort. One New Testament story, one Old Testament hymn, two passages which focus on one phrase. And I think those will help simplify and clarify 2022. So so turn to Luke chapter 10. That's our first passage. That's our story in the New Testament, Luke chapter 10. It's not, uh, this is probably a story you've heard before. And um, so I want us to turn it. Luke, Luke 10, uh, verse 38, will start. Luke 10, 38. Now, as they, Jesus and his followers, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him, to Jesus, and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve all alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious, and you're troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary, and Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. This idea of discombobulation, it's not new. It didn't just start in 2019 with COVID. It's been around. In fact, it's been around since Genesis 3 because that's one of Satan's prime strategies to get us off our game, to distract, to distract us. Right? Discombobulation can happen with life-changing events. Another special scene in the life of Mary and Martha and Jesus was at Lazarus' tomb when their brother died. Those kinds of events can confuse and bewilder us. But also, not just life-changing things, discombobulation can happen with everyday things. Just preparing to host a party. In this little scene, uh, our our eyes are drawn to the person of Martha, aren't they? She's restless. She's she's dissatisfied. Jesus himself describes her as anxious and troubled. Martha just kind of seems insecure. She's empty. Her actions really kind of show us that she's trying to prove that she matters through her performance as a hostess. She's distracted by her busyness. In fact, she's oblivious that the answer to her emptiness is right there in the house with her. One of the most ironic points is when she assumes that Jesus would agree with her, that that, that she's chosen the right thing to do and that Mary needs the help. Come on, Jesus, get her to help us. Get her to help me. But, of course, Jesus doesn't agree. See, Martha kept asking why Mary wasn't in the kitchen. And our question, and I think Jesus' question, was why Mary wasn't in the living room. Martha was unable to appreciate the one thing she needed. Even when it was on the other side of the wall. See, it's not about the many things Jesus said to to Martha. It's about the one thing. So what is this one thing? What does that mean? Well, Jesus says, look to Mary, who's chosen the better thing. And when you look to Mary, what is she doing? She's sitting at the feet of Jesus. Jesus says, look to Mary. And when you look at Mary, you look right back at Jesus, don't you? See that? He's the one thing. This story is not about Martha and all her distractions, And the story really isn't about Mary and her demonstration of pure worship. The story is about Jesus. The story is about that one thing that we need to do, sit at his feet. When you think about that word picture that that Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus, that captures the essence, right? When you sit at somebody's feet, you're immersed in their presence. You're, You're hanging on every word that they have to say. You've reoriented not just your physical body. You've reoriented your mind and your soul around them and their life. One speaker says it's, it's a moment-by-moment moment awareness of his awareness of you. That's what it means to sit at Jesus' feet becoming aware of his awareness of us, a reorientation of our lives. And that's really the assumption behind the whole, all the Gospels. The writers of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they, they know that if you see Jesus for who he really is, your life will be changed. So how do we survive in 2022? Jesus tells us one thing. How do we survive in 2022? Mary shows us one thing. But, practical question How do we sit at the feet of Jesus in Beaver Creek, Ohio? Because he's not here in physical form. And we can't go across the street to the east, right? He's holding court after the service. That's not going to happen. How do we do what Mary did? Well, That's the New Testament passage. Now we go back to the Old Testament. Turn your Bible to Psalm 27, where a hymn of David will answer that question for us. Psalm 27. David helps us pursue the one thing. Psalm Psalm 27, verse 1. David writes, "The Lord is the light, my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and the foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident." How does David do that? Verse four. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. One thing. Discombobulation didn't start with Mary's day. It was happening way back and David's day as well. David in this Psalm, he's facing first external threats. Verse 3, and though an army encamp against me. And that was a very real threat for a warrior king like David. But he didn't just face external threats, there were there was internal heartaches in David's life. His family life was a mess. Mostly because of his doing. <laughs> but in verse 10, he says, For my father and my mother have forsaken me. David himself faced external threats and internal heartaches yet in verse 6 he writes that he can still keep up his head and now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me and i will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy i will sing and make melody to the lord how is david able to do that how can he still offer sacrifices and worship What offers that kind of hope? What offers that kind of solace? Well, it's the only thing. It's the one thing that he says in verse 4, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Now, back in the 1500s, the Church of England um, created their own book of Prayer. And in that book of prayer that they used in their church services, they had passages of scripture. And a guy by the name of Miles Coverdale was the guy that translated from the Greek and the Hebrew into that kind of English. And and, and when he got to Psalm 27, here's how he wrote it. One thing have I desired of the Lord, which I will require, even that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the fair beauty of the Lord and to visit his temple. That's the one thing. See, David goes to the tabernacle not to ask for forgiveness, which he needed. He doesn't go to the tabernacle to request that the Lord will will save him from his enemies, which he needed. He doesn't even ask for a change in circumstances. All David wants is to see God and to see his beauty. He wants to be satisfied with God. And then, He can face anything. He wants the supreme beauty of God to be the supreme beauty of his heart. That is where you start to turn your knowledge about God into a knowledge of God. To gaze. Now, practical question. How do you do that? It sounds very nice in theory. How do you gaze upon the Lord? Well, Over 15 years ago, I heard a sermon by Tim Keller on this psalm, and it stuck with me. All these years, there are are five simple ways to seek the Lord. Number one, you seek the Lord and His beauty experientially. Experientially. Down in verse 8, you have said, David writes, seek my face, and my heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek? Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. Oh, you have been my help. Cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. Seeing God's beauty, seeing the Lord's beauty, is not a one-time vision. It's a sustained experience. To dwell, in verse 4, to dwell in the house of the Lord, David asks. Now, that's not literal, okay? Back then, the tabernacle... The people that lived in the tabernacle that dwelled there were the Levites and the priests because that was their job. They were dedicated to taking care of it and doing the sacrifices. What was David? He was not a Levite and a priest. He was the king. And where do kings live? Palaces. That's where David dwelt. He dwelt in the palace. So he wasn't asking to be transferred over to the tabernacle, it was a metaphor. It was a symbol of his desire to have a sustained experience with God. Not just a one-time thing. An existential awareness. You see, David knew about God already. He believed him. Remember Goliath? David knew his doctrine. He knew his theology. How many psalms did he write? But he wanted more than just head knowledge. He wanted heart knowledge. A sense of his beauty. Now that's... That's kind of a hard concept to communicate. One of the most famous attempts by a a preacher was back in the 1700s, a guy named Jonathan Edwards. And he was trying to communicate this to his congregation. And he talked about the difference between having an opinion in your soul and then having a disposition of your soul. he, He used a very simple analogy of honey for that day and age. There's a difference between knowing that honey is sweet and having the actual sensation of its sweetness. Now, I I thought, well, if he were writing and preaching in 2021, I don't think he'd use honey. I think Jonathan Edwards might use something like a donut, don't you? And, And he would be talking about a donut, but he wouldn't just be talking about any old Dunkin' Donut. He'd be talking about Bill's Donuts. As he tried to communicate the difference between knowing a Bill's Donut and knowing a Bill's Donut. You know, it's described, I looked this up, okay, at, on their um, website as maximum cake satisfaction. <laughs> ah, that makes some sense, you know, I mean, yeah. But I, I think maybe, maybe a, even a better way to communicate it is a Bill's Donut will melt in your mouth like a Grater's ice cream. Oh, maximum diabetes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, you know, but this, I, mean, I can talk all I want and describe all I want and show you all the pictures I want about a Bill's Donut. But until you bite it, you don't know. That's the difference of what David's talking about. You can know a lot about God, but not know God. That's what David wanted. Even the difficulty of trying to explain that, it it, it requires attention. I mean, surface thoughts and ideas only take a thin degree of attention, but deep thoughts, weighty ideas the most delicious of tastes. It takes time to savor those. What does David say in Psalm 34? Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Psalm 119. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. So, Back to the original question, how do you seek the beauty of the Lord existentially in 2022? Let me just give you one little tip. A lot of, you know, hopefully you're thinking about your own spiritual disciplines in the new year and how you want to view those. and, And let me just say, connect as best you can your Bible to your prayer. Connect your idea of God to your request of God. In other words, when you have a request, try to consider how God's character already starts to answer that request. So if you're sick, or someone in your family is sick, think about God first as a great physician. If you're dealing with money struggles, think about God as a great provider. Lonely? When you address God, address one who will never forsake you anxious. Think about God as the sovereign one, the ruler. Nothing escapes his gaze. So we, 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 we pursue his beauty existentially. Number two, we, we pursue it intentionally, intentionally to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. I mean, that's just a deliberate act, is it not? It's contemplative adoration gazing. You think about going, in to a museum, uh, going into a museum, going into a national park, something like the Grand Canyon. You just gaze. Um, but you've got to be intentional with that gaze. Uh, I, I, my high school English, one of the <laughs> days I did not look forward to class-wise was poetry days. I don't know about you. And I always wondered why I wasn't that big a fan of poetry. And I think the answer is because I, I was not very intentional. I, I was impatient with it. And, and, and to understand the gist and the beauty of a poet, you've got to think deeply about the words and beneath the words. That, that's what beauty requires of us. We, we have to have intention and, and, and time, too. And, and I, I, practical for 2022 here. We need to learn to cultivate daily rhythms of intentional looking at God. In fact, daily rhythms that we look at God as he looks back at us. Th- that, that's a way to do that. Um, let me just uh, recommend a couple of books that might help you. Uh, Justin Early has written two books. Uh, he's actually a Christian lawyer. Uh, But he wrote these books out of his own experience. The first one on the left is called The Common Rule. He talks about rhythms and habits of purpose in an age of distraction. Uh, And then the one on the right is a very recent book, and we we gave some of these out to our married kids, where he talks about, as a household, how do you develop rhythms of of intentional... uh, focus on the Lord, and especially little kids, right? How do you do that in that busy time of life? And so they're very helpful as you think about that. And I would encourage you to build in daily rhythms of focusing on Christ through time and places without distraction. I mean, we definitely live in a world of distraction that's, um, and keeps increasing. Um, one writer said that we today live with a disease of continuous partial attention, right? This thing, it's in our pockets, our purses. It's just there, right? And maybe on our wrist. I don't know. Maybe someday in the chip in our brain, but it's just there asking, beeping, vibrating. Look at me. Look at me. Scroll through me. Something important happened in the last 10 seconds. Look at me. I mean, we know that. Um, I don't know when Alexander Graham Bell, I don't even know what year it was, decided to invent the phone. Uh, I'm not sure this is what he had in mind, do you? (laughs) I'll let you look it up. (laughs) I can tell when you finish reading, yeah. Um, It's just crazy, isn't it? I mean, and it's really 2007 is when the, the iPhone came out. It's not that long ago. But it's revolutionized our attention spans, not in a good way. Mm -hmm. We have limited bandwidth. Uh, What does it mean to be a disciple in a digital world? I could spend a few Sundays on that one, but um, we need to think about it. It affects our ability to see and contemplate and pay attention. Your grandma had that picture on her wall, didn't she? I know she did. In her kitchen. I know it. Yeah. Uh, But not with the phone. Uh, Anyway, uh, (laughs) just just a simple tip for that one. Just guard your morning disciplines. Don't have your phone anywhere near. And don't read your Bible through your phone then, because it will be there saying, look at me. Look at me. Right? Detox your life sometimes. Recalibrate your heart. Stay away from the screen sometimes. Helps experiential intentional number 3 intelligently we see God's beauty we pursue his beauty intelligently and that's the simple word in verse 4 of inquiring in his temple to inquire that means to seek a prophecy from the prophet literally to seek God's truth it's 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 you know we've talked about beauty and seeing beauty as more than head knowledge But let me impress upon you, it's not less than head knowledge, okay? You can't see it if you don't know it. So you got to start there. And that's what David's talking about, to inquire about God, to study and to meditate, to think deeply about the scriptures. Somebody said that we are now pancake people. We're a mile wide and only a click deep. We don't think. We don't ruminate. We don't meditate. To know something requires concentration. To be wise requires contemplation. Both concentration and contemplation require both time and intentional attention. To meditate on something till it gets to your heart. What does that look like in 2022? Keep doing what you're doing, coming on Sunday mornings, but let me warn you, 30 minutes a week is not enough. Think of all the information you're bombarded with outside this time slot. And let me also make a a not shameful plug for our adult classes ministry. I don't know if you realize this, but every hour on a Sunday of our three service hours, we have a class across the street in East helping us think more deeply about either a topic, like there's one now on Christian Sexuality at 11 o'clock, or just going through the Bible in a systematic way, that class is at 9.50. And a third one we have, which is starting today uh, at 11, is just talking about everyday theology and theological themes. Let me encourage you to make that a part of your pattern for your family uh, to include adult classes to dig deeper. So, experientially, intentionally, intelligently. Number four, we find his beauty patiently. Patiently. Verse 14, David writes, wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Seeing the beauty of God doesn't happen overnight. There's waiting involved. It's a journey. The Christian life is a journey. It's, there's not a plateau until we see him, as Paul says, face to face, and that's still the future. It's a journey. If you think about the ways the Bible describes our growth in the Lord, it's not an accident that he uses, that the Bible uses uh, organic illustrations, botanical illustrations. Psalm 1, uh, we're like a tree. John 15, Jesus says he's divine. Then in Galatians 5, Paul writes about the fruit of the Spirit. Why does the Bible keep using those kinds of metaphors? One answer is because the Christian life is a journey. It's slow. It takes time. Ups and downs. You know, it's not possible to make God love us more. You realize that. Nothing you do can make God love you any more. Nothing you do can make God love you any less. But we can grow in our understanding of the love of God. It's already there. Patiently. Lastly, we learn about the beauty of the Lord Jesus-centrically. Jesus-centric. You know, that's the one thing that David didn't have the full picture yet. He had hints, but not the full picture. See, now we got to go back to the New Testament. In fact, we really should go back to a passage that that Jason taught us before Christmas. John chapter 1 and John 1.14, here's how John describes Jesus. And the word, Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glories of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And, and that verb, dwelt among us, is fascinating. It actually means Jesus tented among us. He tabernacled among us. That's, that's what the word is. And for us, huh? But for the Jewish audience, they knew right now. What's John talking about? We used to have to go to the tabernacle to meet the Lord. Now we just go to Jesus. We don't need a sanctuary anymore. Now we have a person. That's where we see the beauty of God. That's where we gaze upon the character of God and listen to the words of God. That's where we can focus and meditate on God. To look and be right back at the feet of Jesus. John Piper has written, before we met Christ, we were dead, blind, and deaf, and insensitive to God's glory. We couldn't taste it. as beautiful. But conversion to Christ, that puts within us a taste for divine things, a taste, a preference for the glory of God. Our battle is to constantly see him more clearly that we might delight in him more fully. Those two always go together. I just want to end with one final line from the story of Jesus and Mary and Martha. And In fact, I want you to see it in your Bible, so turn to John 11. Okay, just turn back to John 11. Now we're going to that second scene for those three. Uh, you know, The first one was at the house, but this one's at the tomb of Lazarus. We already mentioned that. Uh, and Mary and Martha are there, and Jesus is going there. And we're going to look. I just want to show you one line, I think the most amazing line in the whole story of Mary and Martha. And, and, and the, the writer of the line is John. And John's the narrator, right? When you read a story, somebody is narrating it for you. And in this case, somebody that saw it somebody that heard the words, somebody that was an eyewitness. And in fact, John is writing this after the fact. That's how he's writing about it. He's after the thing that happened at the, the house and after the thing that happens at Lazarus's tomb, and now he sits down to write the story. And you know to pay close attention to what the narrator says about the characters. It gives you insight into them because he was there. I want you to see how John introduces the characters of the scene. John chapter 11 and verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Does that ring true to you? Given just the short bit of information I've given you today, is that how you describe that group? Jesus loved Mary, who sat at his feet and gazed into his face. And he put up with her sister. Doesn't that make more sense to you? It does to me, but that's not how John wrote it. Why? Because John knows something we don't know. John is taking us right back where Jesus pointed Martha to the one thing to the beauty of Jesus and the beauty of the gospel. You see, the gospel is not that Jesus loved Mary because anybody could love Mary. The gospel is that Jesus loved Martha in all her obliviousness, all her busyness, and yes, all her discombobulatedness. The gospel is that Jesus loves you And Jesus loves me. See, Jesus does more than love Martha despite her faults and shortcomings. He didn't just ignore them. He doesn't love us despite our sin. The gospel says he loves us by taking on our sin. He takes that restlessness. He takes the emptiness. He takes the obliviousness of our lives. He who knew no sin became sin for us. John, in the gospel, they put us back at the feet of Jesus to that one thing we need to face this year. (laughs) Puts us back to see the beauty of his face. No performance necessary and no distractions. Why? Because the beauty of Jesus is the one thing we've been longing for our whole lives. Let's pray, Lord. Thank you so much for the uh, way the Bible's put together. And uh, you can't, when you start to study it and really look at it, you, you can't help but see the supernatural basis of it and how the Spirit could take a a, a guy writing poetry before the coming of Christ and hundreds and hundreds of years later describe a scene uh, of two sisters at their house with the Savior and, and put those two together to show us that we just need one thing. No matter what our circumstances, neither if they're major issues in life or just minor ones, We need that renewed focus, and you have shown us your beauty in the sun, and you've given us the word to show us and the spirit to help, and your body to help as well. Thank you for that. Help as we worship now one final time. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen.